Welcome everyone to another episode of What's That Sound? My name's Stu Watts and today I talked with SB90, uh, who is a Melbourne-based producer, engineer and songwriter. Uh, And today we talked about the importance of setting yourself achievable goals at the start of your career, time management and improving your workflow, as well as building a deep connection with your clients and allowing yourself to have honest communication to improve that relationship. For all that and more, stay tuned. This is a great episode. Let's go. You're listening to What's That Sound with your host, Stu Watts. What's going on, everyone? Welcome to another episode of What's That Sound. My name's Stu Watts, and today I'm here with Stuart Labranda, otherwise known as SB90. Welcome to the show, man. Hey, man. Thanks for having me. You're very welcome. You're very welcome. Let's kick it off with a little bit of a quick about you, who you are, what you do in the music industry. Yeah, so I'm my main job is a producer. Um, I also do like engineering and uh, a bit of writing as well, yep. but I'm mainly like a producer. I do kind of like hip hop stuff, R and B, a bit of like pop and like indie pop, that kind of thing. Love it, love it. How long you been doing that for? Oh, probably like ten years now, I'd say. Yeah. yeah so cool. I kind of started producing when I was in high school, and then after that, I I set up like a little home studio, and I kind of just went from there. Yeah, love it, love it. Let's take it back even further than that. Where did music come into play for you? Um, so I grew up playing piano. So I grew up in like an Asian household and a lot of Asians, uh, a lot of Asian parents like to put their kids into like either piano lessons or like violin. Yep. And so I kind of learned keys from a young age. And then when I got to high school, I stopped playing keys because it just like wasn't cool, I guess. And I thought mm. like, yeah, I don't really want to do this. Like, <laughs> like none of my friends think it's cool. I'm just going to stop doing this for a bit. And um, I kind of like hated it. And then I started making beats when I was about 16 kind of thing, like hip hop beats. Yep. And it was one of those things where I was like, oh, thank God. Like I learned <laughs> piano because it's like so much easier to um, – yeah, like just find chords and find melodies and stuff. And yeah, um, yeah. So, how long did you play so, piano yeah. for? Uh, probably like I want to say like all, definitely all of like primary school. Yeah. So at least like six, seven years of like mm-hmm. getting lessons and kind of doing it, um, where I was like practicing every week or every day, kind of thing. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And so, the yeah. music that you were listening to when you were growing up <clears throat> was that. <clears throat> Like pop based, what was it? What was it like? What were you listening to mostly? Um, honestly, it was like a lot of hip hop stuff. Mm-hmm. So yeah, I grew up listening to like a lot of hip hop and like a lot of R and B. Um, I was really into like Eminem when he first came out, and then I got really into like Kanye, mm-hmm. and then I went back and I listened to like all the kind of like nineties hip hop stuff. Um, so it was mostly like hip hop, honestly. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah, and so. Yeah. Do you remember whether you were like noticing production type elements or was it just kind of passive listening? Well, it's actually funny because, um, so when I, when I really got into like listening to music, um, I don't know if you remember like LimeWire, the, the like illegal downloading. Yeah. Yeah. So I used to download, I used to look for songs on LimeWire and a lot of times they'd have like in the hip hop song, especially like they'd have the producers there. Mm-hmm. So they'd have like produced by just blaze or like produced by Scott Storch or produced by like whoever. Yeah. And so I remember this is before I even knew what a producer really did. I knew they made the beats, mm-hmm. but I noticed that there were songs where like I'd listen to a lot of songs and I'd be like, Oh, like I like three of these songs that are produced by the same dude, like just blaze, for example. Mm-hmm. So I started writing down the names of producers that I liked um, and looking for songs based on who produced them rather than based on the artist. Mm. And this was kind of before I even knew, like I even had started producing or I even knew that it was something you could do like on your computer or whatever. Yeah. 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 Um, so I remember definitely noticing like the production and the beats and being kind of like drawn to that 
in the music that I liked. Yeah, for sure. For sure. Do you remember like what about the specific producers like drew you to it or was it just like, that feels good? Well, I remember like at that time I was really into um, like the kind of soul sample stuff. So like where producers would take old soul samples, like 70s, 80s records kind of thing and then speed them up. So like obviously like Kanye did a lot back then. Yep. Just Blaze did a lot back then. Um, so I remember liking that specific sound. I didn't mm-hmm. know, it was, I didn't, don't think I even knew it was like sampling old songs. I didn't know that, but I knew that there was a sound in there that I liked, a certain yep. sound. So I was kind of just like looking for that. Yeah, that's so that cool. Time, yeah. And so what, how did kind of, you said you started producing, was that just out of nowhere? Like how did, how did that kind of occur? Did you see someone else doing it? What was that like? Um, I have no idea. I somehow like came across Fruity Loops. I don't know where I found it, but I somehow like, I must've downloaded like a cracked version of it or something. Mm -hmm. Um, or like, yeah. And then I just started kind of like making beats and stuff from there. Um, and then once I did, I was kind of just hooked, I guess. Yeah. Yeah. And so that was when you were about 16 or so you were saying? Yeah. Yeah. About probably like 15, 16 kind of thing. Yep. And how, um, obviously you were obviously spending quite a lot of time when you're a teenager, you got a bit, bit more time on your hands and you're not working as much and stuff like that. So was that, yeah. was it all in? Was it like, I can't see you because I'm producing? What, what did it look like? Uh, it was weird. Like for, for a long time it was, so I used to just make these remixes and stuff. So I would download acapellas and I would just produce stuff around the acapellas. And Love I kind of like send them to my friends and stuff and be like, oh, check this out. I remixed like the new whatever, like Amarian song or whatever was out like yeah, that week. Yeah, yeah. Um, but it was weird. It was kind of like on and off for a little while. And then I think after about a year, I got it. So when I first started producing, I didn't have a MIDI keyboard. So I was doing mm-hmm. everything just on laptop, like clicking in melodies and stuff. Yeah. And I think once I got a MIDI keyboard, and I could actually play in chords and like play in everything. That's when I really mm-hmm. like got probably hooked to it. And then it was just like, that was it. Just kind of game. Yeah. Right yep. Yeah. So when did that start to transition into working with other artists? Um, so at first what I did after I did all the kind of remix stuff, I started just making beats and this was back in like the MySpace days. Mm-hmm. So I would find like rappers and stuff on MySpace and I would just hit them up and email them beats. And at that point it was just like, it was just, I was just excited to hear someone record over one of my beats. Yeah. Yeah. Yep. Yep. So I, yeah. So it was, it was literally that. So a lot of it at the start was online. Like I wasn't really working with people in person until kind of like later on. So it was a lot of just like, yeah, finding rappers online or on forums and stuff and, yeah, just kind of like making beats and emailing them to people and trying mm. to just get songs made. It's funny. It's kind of like you've done it in the reverse order to a lot of people because, uh, you know, you, you're kind of cutting your teeth on finding people online and stuff like that, which is obviously how most people do it this these days when they when they start to figure out that they can make stuff for other people. So that that's really fascinating that you're doing it through MySpace and stuff like back then. Did you know anyone else that was doing it or did that just kind of come to you? Just like, I'm going to see if I can find some people. Well, it was weird because I didn't know, I knew people who like played instruments and stuff, but I didn't know anyone who really was into doing like hip hop and R&B stuff. Mm. So it was, it was really just a thing of like, Cause yeah, obviously like a lot of people start, like they'll start a band with their friends or something and, or, or whatever. And they kind of start working with people like that. But I just didn't really know anyone personally who rapped or like who sung and kind of like wrote R&B music. So I kind of just, yeah, it was just like a natural thing to kind of just go online and try to find people. Yeah. Yeah. Do you remember what your like process was back then for for producing and stuff was a very simple did you use many you know effects and things like that or was it kind of just like putting like you know producing just putting stuff together yeah it was all it was all really just like beat making stuff back then um i think at the start it was like very very simple like 
very simple beats, like very kind of simple drums and stuff. Um, I didn't really, I also didn't really know how to make beats and tailor them to, I guess, like being written to. Mm. So I was kind of just like putting a lot of melodies in there and putting, putting a lot of stuff in there that just kind of sounded good to me as like a, a cool, like piece of music or whatever. Um, but I think I, I had to learn later on, a lot of it is about like leaving space for the artist too and understanding like how a voice is going to sound over that and not adding, like I would add like, I'd have like four different like lead melodies going on at once <laughs> just because I thought it was cool. And it's like, yeah, that's cool to me. But like an artist is going to hear that and be like, what am I going to like do with that? Like that <laughs> yeah. sounds crazy. Like <laughs> That's awesome. That's awesome. Do you, yeah. um, did you have like you you learned piano when you were younger? Did you have any formal training for production or audio um, in in the early days of doing that? Or um, well, yeah, I ended up after I left high school. Um, I studied like business management for a bit and kind of hated it, and so I dropped out and I did a advanced diploma at Box Hill in sound production. I think the course was called. Mm-hmm. Um, so that was cool. That was, it was more geared towards like recording bands and stuff. Yep. And so I think it was good for me because I got a lot of knowledge in there. Like it kind of filled a lot of like the gaps in my knowledge in terms of audio, in terms of like just things like miking up drum kits and miking up amps and like mm-hmm. using like more outboard gear, like all this stuff I had never done before. Mm-hmm. I was always mm-hmm. very just like laptop based. Um, and even just working with, like working with a band and kind of like directing them and that kind of thing. Um, so yeah, I did, I did that. Yeah. That's, that's good. Do you, do you remember like whether like a lot of people have different kind of um, thoughts about, you know, formal schooling and education and stuff like that. Do you, think it was a mostly positive experience or did you feel like a lot of people kind of feel like they wasted their time somewhat? Does that, come to you or or were you mostly enjoyed what you did what you were doing i mean it's a it's an interesting one because i feel like in terms of the actual like information you get um honestly i feel like a lot of it you could probably learn online if you spend the time and you like or or just through experience through like going out and getting experience working with people yeah. Like a lot of it's like the actual information you could probably get yourself in other ways. That's like cheaper. Mm. Um, for me, I think the most value I got out of it was being surrounded by kind of like-minded people who wanted to be in the industry, mm-hmm. which mm-hmm. at that time was the first time I had really been around a lot of people who all had similar goals to me um, and who all kind of wanted to do what I wanted to do or like similar kind of things. So just having like that kind of network um, was uh, was really beneficial. I felt, and it's a, it, also, yeah, it's a huge yes, part sorry. of it, right? Like it's like, but just I think a, a big thing, and I, I may have talked about it on the podcast before, is a big thing of being around people that are you know passionate about music and wanting to learn and stuff like that. You you bounce off each other, you get fuel for your learning, and it just you know. Oh, I didn't quite understand that. And someone else did. It's like, tell me how you understood it and like how, how you could Mm. potentially apply it and and just little things and just being around that environment is really to me positive because it just means that when you go home, you're like, I'm going to spend so much time on like actually applying this knowledge that I've just learned. Yeah. Yeah. That's, that's exactly it. So, so yeah, I, I think it was, um, definitely positive. Yeah, Yeah. Beautiful. Yeah. Beautiful. Um, Tell me about, you know, then after you started to like uh, like record with people and mix people and produce people uh, online, how then did that mm. transition into the in-person clients? So, yeah, it was actually during, um, during the time I was studying, I started setting up a home studio just at mum's place and... Um, I actually started just recording people from my class. So like there was another rapper in my class and I started recording him and he would pay me. And so that was kind of like the first time I had someone who was, I was working with in person who was kind of like paying me consistently. Yeah. Um, and I was like, oh, cool. This kind of feels kind of good. <laughs> um, <laughs> yeah. um, and then I think I just started 
kind of advertising myself online. Like I was doing a lot of Facebook ads and stuff and I kind of just set up a pretty basic website with like an inquiry form and just like some stuff I'd produced. Mm-hmm. And yeah, I kind of just started taking on like a lot of recording clients and a lot of mixing jobs and kind of production stuff. Um, I was doing it like super cheap, but at that point I was just kind of like happy to get paid to do yeah. something I liked doing really. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. And so that, um, you know, that, that influx of stuff, were you working part-time as well? Or was it, were you just doing this full-time and, and just, just focusing on the music? So, uh, when I started, I was working at Woolies. Yep. I was, um, check out chick. You know, bad groceries. <laughs> <laughs> um, and my, my one of my first goals was kind of like, okay, if I can make enough consistently week by week where I'm making more from music than I'm making from Woolies, which wasn't very much, it was probably like 300 to 500 bucks a week or whatever. Mm-hmm, um, mm-hmm. If I can at least kind of like feel like I can mash that, then I'll quit my job at Woolies and I'll just do it full time. Yeah. And I think it, I think it took me maybe like, two, three months before I got to the point where I felt confident to just rely on at least just the kind of production income where I didn't need a part-time job. I still wasn't making a lot, but it was just enough where I felt like I still had some money kind of thing. Well, it's, 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 it's a great thing to, to have those sorts of goals that are achievable, that aren't too, you know, like huge and out of the picture where, you know, like you said, you just, you just, you just, matched it to your, your current income. You're like, okay, you know, 300, 500 bucks a week. If I can make that off music, then I'm laughing. You know, that is yeah. such a great sort of, you know, thing to do right at the start. And, you know, you made the steps, you, you created your own studio, you started working with people in person, you set yourself that goal of income. It, it's, it's all little steps towards a more professional, you know, uh, you know, person in, in the music industry that people can look to and not say, oh, they're just doing it as a side gig. Yeah. Yeah. That's so true. And it's, everything's just incremental with mm. when it comes to like, you know, building a business or it's, you, you don't go from like, you know, wanting to be a professional to then, you know, making however much like a year where you can, you know, it's like, it's, it's all like small steps, baby steps, baby steps. But then you look back like five years later and you're like, Oh, I've come like a long way from where I started. Yeah, absolutely. And even when, you know, even when you can say like, this is my full-time job, even then things go in waves, you know, you might have a busy like three months or four months where you like, can't even think about anything else. Um, and then you Mm. might just have a couple of months that are completely dead and you're like, shit, all right, well, I have to just rely on the, the, the income that I made from those few months. And so it's not, it's, it's not like when you get there or get there and, and, you know, when you're full time, it's not like you're constantly working and it's always busy anyway. So you have to be smart about, you know, how you finance, how you, um, you know, put some money aside or whatever it might be, if you're paying rent, all those sorts of things you have to factor in. And so when you're doing it in the early stages, when you're only making a smaller amount of money, if you're smart about those things from the start, you can be better at them when you are a full-timer. Yeah. Yeah. A hundred percent. That's a hundred percent right. It, it definitely comes in waves and it's definitely one of those things where it's like, like you said, you have like a few really like busy months where, you know, you, you literally can't focus on anything, but just getting things done. <laughs> and then you have like a couple months where you're like, oh man, it's like, you know, well, I, I have so much free time. I don't even know what to do with all this free time. Like I forgot what it was like to have free time. Like it's, it's weird, man, but it's just, yeah, it's all part of the, uh, it's all part of the gig, I guess. Yeah, it's crazy. So, so now currently, can you give us like a division of, you know, how much time you're producing with people and making music as opposed to mixing? So with mixing, most of the um, mixing stuff I do is uh, songs that I've produced at the moment. Cool, cool. So I don't do a lot of um, mixing work where people bring in songs that are like mm-hmm. produced by other people and I just mix them. Um, so that being said, I guess it's probably, it's probably about 65 to 70% production. Yeah. Yeah. Maybe like 30% kind of mixing. 
Yep. And you, you're also, you know, creating your own stuff. Illustrated is your solo, uh, you know, solo act, I guess you'd call it. How does yep. that kind of differ from working with clients? Do you have a, a similar approach to creating the music or is it completely different? Um, it's a bit different. I guess like when I'm working with clients, a lot of it is about understanding kind of like what their vision is, like what they're going for and really trying to, um, I guess like my, I feel like my job is to, to bring the best out of the artist and to make them sound as good as possible and to produce in, produce a song that kind of, um, accentuates like the best parts of their artistry. Um, whereas with the illustrated stuff, it's a lot more kind of, I feel like I'm kind of, I guess, curating taste that I like. Mm. So like, it's kind of like, oh, I'm really inspired by this artist at the moment or this kind of scene at the moment or these, you know, these people who are doing these things. Let me try to create music that's kind of a combination of stuff that I think is really cool. Mm. Whereas like sometimes when you're producing for artists, you might not have the uh, the scope to, like it might just, just not make sense for that project to be like, oh, just because I really like this producer right now, I'm just going to throw in these sounds yeah, in your yeah, song. Exactly, yeah. <laughs> it doesn't make sense. Um, so I guess it's it's kind of one of those things where it gives me a bit of freedom creatively to do stuff that's purely just for my own like creative production fulfillment. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And when yeah. it comes to the actual sessions, when you're creating the music, does that look different as well? Um, yeah, it kind of depends. Like a lot of times with the illustrated stuff, I'll make the beats first and then like send them out to artists and kind of like try to find features. Not always, Mm -hmm. but I think that that happens probably like 80% of the time. Um, whereas when I'm producing for artists, a lot of the times we're either starting the songs from scratch in the studio together, or they've already written a song and they're bringing that song to me and I'm kind of producing something that's that's already written. So it's a bit mm. of a different process. Yeah. And so how do you have like, uh, you know, challenges that you see regularly? Is there is there things that you come across that you're like, fuck, I always seem to have this kind of thing that causes me a bit of problems or have you kind of figured it out by now? Um... I think like time management is a big one for me, like trying to figure out how much time to put into say like the business side of things versus, um, you know, actually working on music. Obviously like I'd love to just work on music every second of every day. Yeah. But, um, and I find that that's what I gravitate towards doing, Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. but I think it's one of those things where like just trying to figure out how to allocate, you know, how much time should I spend on, I don't know, like client management or whatever, how much time should I spend on, you know, different aspects of the business or even, even different aspects of like production, like carving out time for, um, you know, learning new production techniques, that kind of thing. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Um, So do you have systems in place that have allowed you to kind of navigate that world a little bit easier with the time management stuff? Yeah, not, not, no strict systems. I think like I kind of might plan out my week and go and look at it and go like, okay, well, I've got these projects to do. Let's try put a few hours here, to, for example, to like, um, I don't know, research the new production stuff or let's put like mm-hmm. a few hours here. So there's no, there's no strict systems. I kind of just play it by ear a little bit, which I don't yep. know if is the best way to do it. <laughs> well, if it works, it works. Honestly, I think there's no set. There's no set way to do anything in the music industry. It's like every and every single person does things their own way because there's no like way to go about creating a song. There's no one set way. Yeah, there are like techniques that everyone might use to songwrite or, you know, but even then each individual has their own way of doing that. So I mm. honestly say that whatever works, works. But if you do... If you, if you are able to look at yourself and go, I am spending way too much time on 
whatever it is, you know, I need to find out, find a better way or a faster way of, of getting, getting better at this because it's eating up too much of my time that could be used on things that are going to make my business better or, you know, I'm going to be faster at producing, you know, whether that's creating templates or anything like that. So, yeah. Mm. Yeah, yeah. Tell me about, that's so true. yeah, I was just going to say, tell me about your, you know, improvements to your workflow over time when it comes to production what what things have you put in place to that that you recognize have made you a faster producer um well i'm really big on templates and shortcuts so i'm very big on like if there's something you're doing constantly like in every session that maybe takes like 10 steps like is there a way you can create a template to get that down to like three steps or two steps or one steps um, so I love Ableton because Ableton has to me like a very intuitive way of saving, um, templates for almost anything, whether that's like mm-hmm. audio effects, rack kind of things, or like even just like groups with tracks and track names. And there's also all, all kinds of like, um, extra like plugins, like max for live stuff you can get for like shortcuts and, and that kind of thing. So one of the things I've done is I found this, uh, do you know Max for Live? The, I haven't uh, heard of it. You just mentioned it, but I, I'm, yeah, I'm not sure what that is. So it's kind of like this open source, I guess, like programming uh, interface for Ableton where people can just kind of make these, like, I guess, add-ons that work in Ableton that can kind of like change the way uh, Ableton works. They're kind of like plugins, I guess, Um but macros maybe yeah like things like that um anyway so i've found one for ableton that allows you to create shortcuts for um plugins so you can Mm. for example hit like shift c and then the that track will just open a compressor and Mm. Mm -hmm. you could hit like shift whatever and you could um open eq and you can also Mm -hmm. have it so that um certain settings come up for certain macros too. So you could, you know, Mm. so I think just even that alone, um, I reckon probably saves me like hours on every project. Mm. Just the, just that little thing of not having to like click into, you know, um, plugins and then find the compressor and like drag the compressor in. Anything that kind of uh, like alleviates you having to click around is always, like faster because if your hand's always on the keyboard and you know your shortcuts your brain's going to recognize that for muscle memory and it's just going to go quicker it's just like literally half a second to do something that might have taken four seconds and that might not sound like a lot but over time these things all add up and if you're doing that for absolutely every single you know um action that you're doing in when you're producing it just takes all that extra time so i love it i i use i use studio one and and you can create your own macros and stuff like that and those Mm. sorts of things where if i can find like a way to alleviate you know anything like it might be just like routing of a bus or something if i've got one shortcut that does that that alleviates me having to click and do three or four different actions why wouldn't you set that up? It takes like, you know, a couple of minutes to set up and in the future it just saves so much time. So little things like that are huge. I, I agree. Yeah. Yeah. Tell me about, sure. yeah. Tell me about some of the, um, some of the things that, so, so you, you used to use Fruity Loops now you're using Ableton. When, when did that yeah. transition happen? Um, well, I actually went from Fruity Loops to Logic for a while. Um, so I was using logic for a few years and I really liked it. And I think I got into Ableton when I started doing like the illustrated stuff. And I also had another side project was like a duo that I was in, um, which was also kind of like electronic stuff, but I got Ableton first just for the live capabilities, like just to do live shows. Um, because it's got obviously it's got like the performance mode and mm-hmm. it's, it's just really like set up for live performance. And I kind of just learned Ableton out of necessity to do live shows. And I think at one point I was like, Oh, I really just like, I like the way Ableton did kind of like audio warping and some of the things just um, you could do in Ableton that I could do a lot faster than um, what I could do in logic. 
Yeah. So yeah, at, at a certain point I was using, I was trying to use both. Like I was trying to do the Ableton thing, like certain things in Ableton and certain things in Logic, which is like such a headache and I would not recommend for mm. anyone to do. Um, yeah, I know some people do it, but like, I don't know, just, just the thing of like switching between doors and stuff, I think. Um, ah, yeah, gets it. Just bit. the load times yes. alone. It's just like sitting there and waiting for fucking another session to load in a completely different yeah. DAW. It's like crazy. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, man. And then and trying to keep it all organized and like, uh, yeah, it's just too much. It's oh, too much. Yeah. <laughs> Dude, crazy. Um, now we've talked a lot about the actual, you know, computer stuff, the actual producing and things like that. Talk to me a, a bit more about some of the artists that you work with. First of all, give us, I've got some names here, like most recently, Keenan T, Tandy Phoenix. Yep. Um, yep. You did a track with Ilya and Vera Blue. Um, yeah, yeah. That Was that just mixing? Like what, were you, what was your invo- involvement in that track? So that was actually like kind of, I guess like co-production, additional production kind of stuff. Um, yep. I was working with M phases a lot of the time. And so like, he would like to send me songs and he was working on that. So he's, he's the main producer on that. I kind of just added yep. some stuff. Cool. Um, yep. Yeah. Yeah. And some, some other artists, KLP, Dylan J, Raria. T- talk to me about how you built those relationships um, and, and, you know, you know, your involvement with those artists. Yeah. So, I mean, it's kind of different for everyone, but a lot of times it's like, a lot of times it's kind of a word of mouth thing or just like, you know, you work with certain artists and if they like your stuff, they'll like, you know, they might bring one of their friends to the studio or they might just like put you guys, puts you in a like Insta DM with someone and be like, Hey man, you guys should work. Cause I think you guys would work well together. Um, also I have a management team, which has helped me get a lot of stuff like the KLP stuff and like the Tandy Phoenix stuff. Um, and like Benson and that kind of thing that all came through the initial sessions all came through my management. Mm-hmm. so with all those artists we kind of did like i think we did like a writing session at first um and it i think they it obviously went very well because they wanted to keep working with me um yeah. and yeah it's just kind of one of those things unreal and and what uh what do your sessions look like Are there, is there a lot of kind of pre-production songwriting stuff at the start or is it kind of more of a fluid approach yeah, with like writing sessions, I like it to be very, yeah, very just like fluid. You know, we might just start the session by going through some references or literally just being like, what are you listening to lately? Like what kind of stuff are you into? And um, I find with writing sessions, I like it to feel very organic. Like I don't like to kind of sit down and plan stuff out too much. Like I would rather just like talk about music for half an hour and then sometimes it's literally like, oh man, that like guitar part in that song is really cool. Maybe we should like try start a song with like a, a weird like riff like that and just see where it goes. Um, yeah. So that's a lot of the times I find like the best writing sessions have that kind of like organic, um, yeah, organic way of going, I guess. Yeah, beautiful. And your involvement with like production and stuff, do you have pretty much a 50 50 hands-on sort of aspect with the songwriting and production or is it a lot of it like yeah i'm sure it's different for every artist but is you know Mm. talk me through that is a lot of it like i want it this way let's do it that way kind of yeah expand on that for me uh so do you mean like is it is it just me making all the kind of production decisions or is it am i working closely with the artist in terms yeah yeah like how much input does the artist have and is it a lot of the times they're like i need it to sound like this uh, honestly, it's, it's like, it depends on the artist. It's really like, there are some artists I work with where like, we'll, we'll start a song and maybe they write something and we've got kind of like the main structure of the song and, and the lyrics kind of done. And they, some of them will literally just like leave it to me and I just will finish the song. And, yep. you know, maybe there's like some back and forth, like, uh, can we just like take out this sound here or we can just, or whatever. But like 90% of it might just be like all my production ideas. Mm-hmm. And then there are other artists who like, you know, they might want to sit with you and help you choose like a hi-hat sound. Yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like it's yeah. like that detailed. So it's literally like everything in between. I find yeah. it just depends on like the personality of the artist and what their creativity is like. And I guess almost just like um, 
what kind of creative workflow you build with people. Like it's different every single time. Mm. Um, so yeah, I don't know. It's kind of everything. Hey, thanks so much for listening so far. There is plenty more to come, so don't go anywhere. I just wanted to let you know that this podcast is made completely independently by myself with no sponsors. So if you like what you hear and you would like to show your support, you can send a donation to the PayPal link, paypal.me slash what's that sound. The link is also in the show notes. Thanks so much for your support and let's get back to it. Nice one, man. And so talking about, you know, the different artists that you work with, I want to know, you know, I like to talk a lot about not only the positive stuff in, in this podcast, because I think it's, it's, it's a good thing to understand what some of the difficulties are, you know, not only just being in the music industry, but working with people and, and, are there some things that you kind of come across regularly that you think people out there that are just getting started should know about? Yeah, I think I think one of the big things for artists especially, um, if you're going into, you know, getting songs produced and that kind of thing, um, I think really like taking the time to – research producers and listen to their stuff and kind of figure out, um, I guess like what their sensibilities are or what their taste is like. Cause a lot of the times I find like, um, in the past, the sessions that haven't gone too well, or if, you know, you work with an artist and it kind of feels a little bit like, you guys aren't on the same page or, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. you know, like the, it, it, that kind of thing. I feel like a lot of the times it happens when artists look at producers or engineers as more of like a, like a commodity, like, you know, like, you know, if your car breaks down and you need mm-hmm. someone to like fix a panel, you might just hit up 10 panel beaters and go like, Oh, well, what's the, who's the cheapest who can do this or whatever. Who's closest to me. Whereas music's not really like that. Mm. Music's a little bit more, you know, every producer is going to have their own taste and their own sounds that they like and that kind of thing. And so I find with artists, yeah, if they do treat producers a bit more like a kind of, a bit more of like a generic commodity, I find that um, you will end up probably working with producers who don't suit you Mm. more often than Mm. not. Um, Mm. so I think that's like a big one. Um, I think with that as well is like understanding that the relationships that you have in the industry, uh, matter. And, you know, Mm. the reason why I bring that up is because when you're working with a producer, you're talking about, um, emotion, you're talking about passion, you're talking about things that you love And Mm. when it comes to your own music as an artist, you want to love the outcome, right? You want to feel like you've got, you've attained something like you've crossed, crossed over or like climbed a mountain or something like that. And the deeper connection that you have with your producer, the more, you know, you understand each other, the better the outcome's going to be. And so if, like Mm. you said, if you're just treating them like a vehicle to get a song, you won't get that. You just won't get that um, outcome. You won't get that feeling. So the, it, mm. it's, a, it's on us as well as producers to get to know our clients and get to know the people that we're working with on a more of a deeper level because then you can actually understand, okay, I feel like I know this person a bit more and I know that I know what how to get what they want. Mm. Yeah, that's that's so true. Um and I find, and I'm sure you probably find the same thing as well, that the quality of the songs you can get with an artist kind of increases the longer you've been working with someone. Yeah. So yeah. it's it's often the time, like the first song you do, and it doesn't necessarily mean that the song's not going to turn out great, but as you start to learn about each other, as as a producer, as you start to understand you know, even just their reasons for making music or even just mm. like, you know, understanding how they see the world and and kind of like getting a better idea of their worldview and what motivates them, 
all this stuff goes into the production and goes into the song, even if it's like subconsciously, you mm. know, it's one of those things. Um, so yeah, I think you're hundred percent right about like the relationship side of things is so important. Yeah, it's so true. And just knowing, like, I think, yeah. So it was a recent guest that I had Sam Swain. He was talking about like actually knowing what your artist doesn't want is just as important as knowing what they do want. And just mm. without having a, a close relationship, you can't talk about the stuff that shits you because it might be uncomfortable. You might not feel confident enough to tell your producer, hey, I don't want that in my track. You might just be yeah. like, well, they love it. So I feel like it's going to be a better outcome. If you have a better relationship with someone, you you can have the confidence to say, man, don't get that in my song. I don't want that. You know, <laughs> something yeah. like that as well. Yeah. That's so true. That's why it's like the comfort, the comfort level thing is so important because you need to really get to a level where you can both like express your opinions really freely, even if it's negative opinions and you know, mm. the other person's not going to take it personally. So like, I love it when I work with an artist and I put a sound in, they're like, nah, that sucks. <laughs> yeah. like, and they can just say yeah. that. But I, but I feel like we make better music when you have that kind of comfort level. Whereas yeah. if you're both kind of like, you know, walking on eggshells a little bit, not wanting to, you know, like, um, yeah, I guess like not wanting to step on toes, it kind of means that both of you aren't getting the best out of each other's opinions and, and taste or whatever it is. Mm, yeah, absolutely. So how then do you navigate, um, those times when it might not have been as good an experience? How do you kind of, how do you navigate that? And how do you still reach a positive outcome with, with those people that you might've not have got along with as much? Oh, that is a good question. Um, let me think, how do I reach a good outcome? the people that I don't like. <laughs> no, it's not that. Um, um, honestly, it's just like just trying to stay focused on on the song and what's best for the song. Um, and, yeah, just really trying to trying to work with people. Like it's, it's a hard thing sometimes. Like it's a hard balance um, if, if you guys like aren't on the same page. But sometimes it's, it's even a thing of just um, – having a conversation and maybe saying like, look, this is where I'm at. This is what I think about it. What do you think about, you know, whatever, whatever the, wherever the song is or whatever the issue is, I feel like, or I might, mm. I might see the issue as, and yeah, kind of just trying to have like an honest conversation in like a respectful way. I think a lot of times can, um, help get through those like little rough patches. Yeah. Um, but yeah, it's not always easy. For sure. Yeah, it's it's true. I think like, again, when it comes to what we actually do, what our job is, a lot of it is kind of feel-based and, and, and things like that. So we mm. have to listen to our intuition that is saying this doesn't feel right. And I had to have a conversation recently with uh, one of the bands that I work with and it was, it was, I've done heaps of songs with them and I hopefully will continue to do more songs with them. But the song that we were working on, mm. I was just like, it just doesn't feel like the other ones, like regardless of like what it is. And I think it, a lot of it was how I was feeling on the day. And, and mm. it was kind of like a weird conversation just to, to broach that topic of like, this one's not hitting as, as much for me. And let's kind of figure out why that is. And, you know, I yeah. took some time away from that song and listened back to it a couple of days later. And I was like, I think I was being a very hard on myself, but mm. if I didn't have that conversation, the artist wouldn't have known that I was feeling that way. And I could have continued to take that into the next session with me as well. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. And I, I also mm. think like moments like those where you're willing to kind of just say how you feel about something, even if, even if you might be wrong about it, even if like, it is a thing of like, okay, that was just because I was in my head that day or that was just because whatever. I think those things also help build trust with the artist because you want them I think they want to feel like they're getting your honest opinion every time. Like they don't want someone who's just telling them, Oh, this sounds amazing when it doesn't, because then they're going to end up with like, you almost need to be a bit of a like quality control. And to do that, you, they need to feel like you're being honest with them, like every step of the way, mm. even if it ends up that you were wrong and, or, you know, a few days later, you're like, Oh, I was, I was just in a like bad mood that day. Or I was just in my head, whatever. 
So mm. yeah, yeah, I think that's yeah, a really spot important on. thing. Spot on, mm. man. Absolutely. Let's get into some nerdy stuff. I like to get nerdy uh, with the producers and engineers that I have on this podcast. Let's talk about some yeah. of your favorite bits of gear. Do you use any, like what hardware do you use in your, you know, day-to-day work? Um, I don't use a lot of like outboard stuff. It's mostly instruments. So I have um, a Profit Synth over here. And I've got the Moog Sub Fatty, which I love. So yep. they're both sick. Um, and I just have like a little e- electric guitar and stuff. But a mm-hmm. lot of the stuff, honestly, is like done in the box, which yep. I know isn't like super exciting. You know, I would love to have a bunch of like pull techs and LA2As <laughs> and stuff out here. But, um, yeah, yeah. You know? yeah, for sure. Um, yeah. And but, microphones? Yeah. Do you have Microphone, a bunch or is it the- just the one? Uh, I've got this, the MH, uh, I've forgotten what it's called actually, MH930, um, which is like an old kind of condenser mic. And then I've just got the Shaw SM7, which I love for like writing sessions actually, because I just have it set up and, you know, if an artist wants to put down some ideas, they can just quickly pick it up. Sometimes you don't even have to turn the monitors off if it's just like getting scratch ideas down. Um, but yeah, just those two mics really. Yeah, yeah. No, that's fantastic. Well, then let's dive deep into the software side of things then. Like what yeah. you, you've talked about Ableton a bit and the reasons why you love that. Is is there other any other reasons why you why you love Ableton? Um I just I don't know. I think the workflow of it just kind of like clicks well with my brain. Like I don't mm. know, like specifically yeah, I think like the audio the way the way it warps audio and stuff to me is very like intuitive. Um, mm. Also again, like the way you can save templates and stuff really just works for me. So I'm, I'm constantly just like saving little templates or little presets as I work on songs. Like it's very easy mm. to do that. So I just have end up having like this big bank of just like go to sounds or go to like vocal effects or like whatever it is from just all these projects that I do. Um, they're just there. So I think like that, I love that. Um, I don't know what else it is specifically. I just find that even just little things like, you know, like where options are, like, you know, things like that, I find that Mm. maybe it's just a thing of like the things I use the most are like easier to do in Ableton than they are to do Mm. in other doors, you know? I think the the point – one of the points that you made is like knowing where things are. It's, it's really frustrating to me when I might be on, it doesn't even have to be audio production software, but any type of software where I'm like looking for something to me, it should be where my brain goes. That's where it should be. And it's not there. Mm. Something like Mm. that. I'm like, it's a very broad thing, but something like that is as simple enough to turn me off a, a piece of software and try and look for another one. Um, so yeah, like you said, like things like keyboard shortcuts and, and, you know, where you can edit certain windows and things like that, those little things that make such a big difference in the scheme of your workflow, uh, Mm. yeah, second to none. So that's awesome. Let's, um, move into, you know, some, uh, some, first of all, cause you know, you're doing a lot of producing. So what instruments are you using to produce in the box then? Ah, oh, that's a good question. So I use a lot. I use Omnisphere a lot. I think that's really like a really cool plugin. Um, I use like Serum a lot uh, for like synth stuff. Obviously, like mm. Contact's great. Like Contact mm-hmm. has like mm-hmm. a, you know a million different like sampler instruments and stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, I've been doing a lot of like kind of guitar based songs, so I'll record like electric guitar for that kind of stuff. Yep. Um, and then it's just like a lot of samples, like a lot of drum samples, a lot of just like samples of stuff that I've built up over the years of stuff that I like. Um, and I find like these days it's more about the way I process sounds rather than having like a lot of different sounds. Mm. I think in the past. Love that. That's, that's great. Yeah. Yeah. Tell tell Um, me about that more. Like, you know. Yeah, yeah. Just expand on that if you Just could. Pros. Yeah, yeah. So, like, I mean, I'm at the moment I'm really big on, like, plugins that emulate kind of, like, old tapey stuff or, like, anything that makes it sound kind of – anything that has a kind of, like, weird, like, warbly kind of sounds. Um, so, like, I've 
you know, I use like sketch cassette a lot. I use like, there's a plugin called tape by baby audio, I think, which is really yep. cool. Um, also the, uh, the tape mellow fire, which emulates like the, um, the Mellotron like tape effect by Arturia. Mm. That's really cool. But, um, yeah, sick. a lot of times, even I'll do things like I'll take a delay, for example, like echo boy, um, turn the time all the way down to zero turn the wetness all the way up to like a hundred percent, like no feedback mm-hmm. and then just mess with like the filters or the different, like um, the different uh, delay modeling modules. Mm-hmm. And you can kind of just get cool textures out of stuff from that. You're not really using it as a delay. You're using it just as like a tone kind yeah, of tone tool. shaper. Um, yeah. That's, I do that's that fantastic, man. I love that you made that point. Yeah. The, both of those points of it's not necessarily the sample that you use. It's how you use it. And I've always had the uh, mindset and I've said it before is mm. I don't own that many things in terms of actual instruments. I played drums since I was 10 and I've only ever owned two drum kits. You know, it's, it's not necessarily yeah. about the actual thing that you're using. It's, it's knowing and understanding deeply how to get the most out of whatever you're using. So that's a really, really great point. Yeah, that's so true. That's so true. Yeah. Tell me about plugins for mixing. What What are your go-tos? Let's start with EQ. EQ, uh, the Fab Filter, like Q3, that's like obviously just a very bread and butter, like clinical yeah. kind of EQ. Um, so I like that a lot. I like the like UAD pull tech stuff. Like that sounds great on a lot of things. Mm. Um, I'll use the like slate stuff every now and then, like the virtual mix wrap, like like they put the SSL, um, em, uh, the emulator like SSL stuff, yeah, which yeah. is kind of cool. Yeah, yeah. Um, I'm trying to think of what else. Yeah, just kind of those ones. I think they're the main mm. ones. Yeah, I I like. As a side note, I your production style and mix style to me is very clean, very modern. You know the the uh, processing on things is very subtle and I really like mm. that. It can be really difficult to achieve um, as I, I, my main, I guess my main styles of music are rock based, but I do a lot of pop as well. And it can mm. be very difficult to try and not push things to their limit and just try and get things as clean as possible. Do you often find that difficult or is that kind of just in, intuitive to you to, to get things as clean as possible? Um, I don't know. I think I, I think I just like that sound. Like I like a lot of space in my mixes and in my music. Um, I'm very much like a, a less is more guy a lot of the times. Um, so I kind of like, I kind of have a bit of a, um, what's it called? Like an aversion to like over adding sounds. Mm. Like a lot of the times, like if an artist goes like, oh, we should, we need to add more in this chorus. Um, my first instinct is to find other ways to make the chorus sound bigger before adding stuff, which doesn't always work, but I think that's, yeah, I don't know. I don't know where that kind of came from, but I think that's just kind of like what I like to hear, I guess. Yeah. So is that things like adding reverbs and delays to fill up the space or what, what is that? Yeah. Like, yeah, a lot of, a lot of that kind of stuff. Like, yeah, I do like having a lot of, a few different um, delays and stuff going. Also, I kind of feel like for me, like the songs that I love the most seem to have fewer elements, but everything is very strong. Mm. So um, at least in the stuff that I like, 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 you know, you might have two or three like melodic elements, but they're like really strong and they're really Mm. like Mm. ear catching. Um, So I kind of like, go with that approach a lot of the times. Mm, that's awesome. I love it. And moving on to compression, what are some of your favorite compressors that you are drawn to? Um, I mean, still just like the UAD, the LA-2A, I use a lot on vocals, 1176. Um, mm-hmm. I've started using the Waves, like Axe. Is that the one? Like the really heavy? Oh, like, yeah. Yeah. I used to be a bit like, I used to think it was like too much. But um, yeah, yeah. recently I've like started putting it on a lot of stuff. So I don't know if everything is just going to come out like super overcompressed <laughs> and like squash now, but whatever, man, I like it. I'm going to keep using it. <laughs> yeah, good. It's um, another good point is like just going with it and seeing what happens. And it kind of puts you in like a point in time as well. It's like you can pinpoint, oh, I was using that at that in that kind of period. 
I love it. Yeah. Yeah, um, yeah. You could, it's so and, funny. Yeah, go on. Any other Sorry. kind of go-to, I, I would say, Desert Island plugins that you can't live without? Um, oh, at the moment, Soothe by mm. Oak Sound. Yeah, Oak Sound, yeah. I, yeah, I put that on everything. Like, it's just it's such a, um, dude, <laughs> it's crazy. It saves, it saves you so much time. Yeah. It's just like, yeah, like stuff, especially on vocals, like in the past, like notching out frequencies or like automating parts. And you just chuck this on and it just does everything for you. Like it makes it, everything it, sound it's better. It's crazy to me how subtle it is in the sense of you would think that what it's actually doing would really significantly change the sound, but it's mm. so subtle in the way that it, it outputs the sound is like you're doing potentially up to 12 decibels of like reduction on certain frequencies. And yeah. it's like, it doesn't sound like that at all. It sounds so clean. Yeah. Yeah. It's so good, man. I feel yep. like, I feel like just that plugin alone probably like took my mixes up 20% mm. just because mm. like I could just like, yeah, make everything sound better by putting it on yeah. everything. <laughs> Love it. Any yeah. others? Um, there's definitely a few. Uh, oh, like Valhalla Vintage Reverb. Yeah. Like yeah. I couldn't live without that. I put that on everything. <laughs> yeah. um, Echo Boy. I use yeah. that on like every project. I love that. Mm-hmm. Um, and then just like the Waves, like Sidechain Compressor. Um, which is just like the standard compressor. Oh, hang on. Sorry. Sorry. My computer's doing something weird. Oh yeah. Sorry. Um, just the waves sidechain compressor. Mm-hmm. I use that a lot to like, um, get like drums, uh, not get drums out of the way, get things out of the way of drums. So that my mm-hmm. drums can mm-hmm. be like super upfront. Um, but yeah, I guess those yeah. ones. Love it, man. Well, this is, this has been so sick. Um, before I, before we finish up, I always like to finish with this question and we answered it somewhat earlier in, in, in the podcast, but I'll, I'll ask it to you again. What mm. pieces of advice do you have for first of all, engineers and producers and yep. secondly, artists? So I think for engineers and producers, if you're trying to do this like professionally, um, I think it's literally what we talked about before about starting small, having small goals. Like if, if you're literally just trying to, um, if you're going from maybe being into production to wanting to make it your full-time job, just start with, okay, can I get one client? Can I get two clients? Mm-hmm. Can I just, you know, and as you do that, one, you'll start to get feedback from clients, which will just make you improve naturally. And as you grow, you'll just get better and, and, you know, the kind of like supply demand thing of it will, there's almost like a a natural kind of like cycle to it. Um, so yeah, just like starting small and taking baby steps. I think with artists, um, yeah, really taking the time to think about who you are as an artist. Um, and also really taking the time to listen to songs that you love and that you think um, you can draw from as an inspiration and start to think a little bit about like what you like about those songs and break down, you know, the, the, the sounds and stuff that you're drawn to. Maybe it's like chord progressions. Mm. Um, a lot of that stuff helps when going to a producer, because the more of that stuff you can communicate, I think the more closely what you end up, is going to match what you end up with is going to match um, either what you have in your head or what, kind of resonates with you as an artist. Mm. I hope that makes sense. No, yeah. that's, that's awesome, man. I love that so much. Um, well, yeah, thank you for joining me uh, today. It's been, it's been sick. Thanks for having me, man. It's been so fun. You're very welcome. Uh, where can people find you uh, in person and online? Uh, so on Instagram, SB90. So that's S-B-N-I-N-E-T-Y. Um, online, uh, my website, sorry, stuartbmusic.com. Um, in person, I'm over at Kindred Studios. So if you're ever down, oh, nice. down that way, yeah, just hit me up and we'll, we'll grab a coffee. Um, yeah, that's pretty much it. Unreal. Well, thanks again, man. Um, and thanks to everyone 
checking us out today. Um, I hope you got a lot out of it. I definitely do every single time I do these podcasts. I love it. Um, but if you can do us a favor and share this around, whether that's sharing it to, uh, you know, directly to a friend in a, in a DM or whether that's on a story or in a post or anything like that, that just helps us spread the word of this podcast, which is obviously the aim. We want to educate and help as many young producers and engineers as possible. And this is the best way that you can help us do that. Um, and secondly, make sure you hit follow and subscribe on your podcast platform to stay up to date with every new episode that we have on here. We've got heaps of amazing guests in our, in our vault already and heaps more coming up. So do that for us and uh, we will see you next time on What's That Sound. See ya. Thanks for listening to What's That Sound. Make sure you hit follow or subscribe on your podcast platform to stay up to date with each new episode. We'll catch you next time.